For several months, we've been working on a lease in what's called the Off-Broadway Shopping Center, but we would all know it as the Steinmark Shopping Center. And uh, I'm going to cut to the chase. Uh, the elders and I felt very clearly that we were to shut it down. Would you like to know why? We heard it was haunted. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, um, and I'll try to be, as, I'll try to be as, as kind and Christian as I can. Um, short of the long, after all the process of working with architects and contractors and um, our lawyer, who just happens to be uh, one of our overseeing elders as well, John Graves, to secure just the right lease, the right thing, um, you know, we were quite a ways through the process, and I'll spare you all the details, but we basically handed him a lease that was just right. It was just perfect. Um, he said, great, I'll get back with you. There's a couple things I see we'll need to change. What are those things? This, this, and this. Oh, that sounds good. And uh, a week later, I just sent a brief little email. Hey, bro, where's the lease? We're ready to sign. And um, Oh, I'll, I'll get it back with you. I did want to let you know that we're, you know, we're not feeling too great about this lease. It seems like you guys don't understand commercial leasing. No, we understand. We've been working on this for a long time. So, but I said, okay, well, just please let us know. A week went by, and uh, I emailed him again, and he said, well, we are, um, we are entertaining other offers on this property. And so I promise I didn't say one cuss word. <laughs> I didn't hit anybody. I didn't punch anybody. I didn't even kick my dog. I'm telling you, it was good. But I did just let him know that... Um, you know, that that was very unexpected because we handed him a ready uh, signable lease and he said that he was going to get back with us and, um, with a few changes. But instead of giving us a ready, a ready signable lease, he lets us know that, that he is um, showing it to other people. And I said that was both surprising and disappointing. And uh, I said to him, um, you can consider us done. We will, uh, we will not be... We'll look for another home somewhere else. And um, his reply was, no, you know, be patient with us. We are vetting out all options because we want to make sure our rent roll is just right. In other words, that we're making the kind of money that we need to make. And I just said, sir, I've been vetting this property for a year and handed you a signable lease. We're done. And no cussing, no anything, I'm telling you. So... Um, and there's, a, there's some other things that are kind of along with that. And it's one of those things where they absolutely did not do anything illegal. But it certainly teetered on the line of unethical. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so that's where we're at. Uh, I've talked with Pastor, Cho, uh, Pastor Joe here at TCF. We've met several times about this. And, and they're like, man, you guys, we're not kicking you out. We love you. And you guys are welcome to stay here doing the same thing for as long as you need to. And um, we've talked about the possibility of meeting on Saturday nights for a longer extended amount of time. And, uh, and, and we don't know all those things. And, and, uh, and interestingly enough, I am more excited and more at peace right now than I have been through this whole process. <laughs> Isn't that weird? And those of you who know me well and those that I've been pretty stressed out, like, what are we going to do? You know. But I think one of the things that I've learned is, um, is that life is just full of uncertainty. You know, there's just, you, you go along in life and you cannot, it's absolutely, and just to dispel any kind of myths you may have about life, there's no way that you can walk um, 
and live out life, and especially as a believer, someone who follows Christ, and not have some semblance of uncertainty. It's impossible. And that's one of the things that I've learned is, um, is that life is full of uncertainties. Some of you are like, man, you ain't got to tell me. I know exactly what you're talking about. In fact, if you want to write this down, this is kind of, uh, um, I usually give titles to my messages or my teachings. I just usually don't tell you. But um, this one is called The Reality of Uncertainty. And that is the reality, is that on this journey called life, sometimes we don't know exactly what lies ahead. And, and I have, I'm going to share with you three things um, that I've learned through this process, where I'm at, and I think it's good for me, it's good for our church, um, but also hopefully it'll encourage you on a personal level. Um, one of the things that I got, about, I got to thinking about, oddly enough, this weird connection, is I started thinking about Psalm 23. Most of us know Psalm 23, you know. Um, Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that in the movies, you know, um, there's two prayers in the movies that people will refer to Christian stuff if they're like in trouble or something's going to happen, you know, or, or whatever. And one of them is like the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father in which art in heaven. But the other one is, you know, somebody's in trouble when you see them kind of hunker down and go, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down, and you know, almost as if that, there's some sort of comfort in that. Or it's a, it's a scripture that often can be read on someone's deathbed to encourage them and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a very versatile verse. But in a weird way, the Lord connected this idea of uncertainty with Psalm 23. And that's because in the middle of that, in fact, you can go ahead and turn there. In the middle of the verse, if you refer back to the good old King James Version, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Um, you could read it, yea. I prefer to, re- to read it, yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's like the texting. That's how we say, yeah, Y-E-A. And that's how it's, so, yay, yeah, whatever. Um, but when you think about where that psalm comes from, and I taught this kind of a few years ago, um, this, and several scholars kind of believe this and have seen this, but especially those who have also been shepherds in different parts of the world. They've seen that Psalm 23 is kind of a walk through the life of a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Why? Because he takes care of me. He leads me where? To green pastures, beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down paths of righteousness. Why? For his namesake. To glorify himself. That's what he's going to do for me. And then it says, And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right in the middle of all this really good, neat stuff, there's a statement that says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And again, that's something that we'll use at a funeral to, to, um, or on a deathbed to try to encourage someone. But really, in the context of what's going on in that psalm, it's a huge, giant metaphor about walking with God humbly as him as the shepherd and as us as a sheep. Just think, we, David was known as the, the shepherd king. You guys ever heard David called that? Why? Because he started out as a shepherd. He was promoted to king. And he's used all kinds of references in the Psalms um, that have to do with king and, and describing God as king. He's, he's king eternal, king majestic, all-powerful, all-knowing. He rules and reigns the universe um, with a scepter of justice and, and all those kinds of things. But right here, he gives a different metaphor for this, real, this, this uh, idea of life and intimacy. He chooses not the king metaphor, but the shepherd metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and just real quick, if you're writing things down, Um, one of the difference between a shepherd and a king is that the shepherd literally lives with his sheep. He's there. 
He's with them at all times, by their side, in every situation. If you remember, those of you who have been here a while, or maybe you've heard someone else teach, teach this, when it talks about the sheep pen, the shepherd would literally create the sheep pen, and he would literally sleep at the entrance of that pen. So that if anyone tried to get in, whether it was a sheep or a robber, they'd have to get through him. Which is why Jesus said, if anyone tries to come into the sheep gate in any other way than the door, which is him, he calls him a thief and a robber. I'm getting off track. Okay? My point is, is that this is a very intimate kind of a thing right here. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, again, in context of him leading the sheep, where did he say he was going? Where did he say the good shepherd was leading him? To green pastures beside quiet waters, to restore his soul. Towards the end, it says, um, um, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is something going on, a place where he is heading, a place where David um, has led sheep before, and he knows as a sheep he himself is being led. But there's a reality square in the middle of that thing. And that is that sometimes to get to that green pasture, to get to that quiet water, to get to that place of peace, to get to that place of purpose, you have to go through the valley. And the valley that he's talking about as a sheep herder, as a shepherd, is what we might call a, a valley gorge. You know, in, in that terrain, in that area, a lot of those valleys are like this. There's these, you know, these little gorges. You guys know what I'm talking about? With steep sides, and, and you have to get through that. And a lot of times you, 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 you're up here, and you can see the water. You can see the green pastures way down there. I should have put a picture up. What was I thinking? Anyway, but you can see it down there, but i got to go down into the valley to get to that which is no big deal. It's just a valley, right? Except that two problems for a shepherd. One, that's where the, the wolves and the lions and the bears and the different animals of prey that prey on sheep, that's where they kind of hide. And they're up high. They have the advantage. There's a threat of losing your sheep. But it's also a place where robbers can, can go and they can await the shepherd and the sheep and trample down on that shepherd, steal the sheep, all that, you know, strike the shepherd And what happens? The sheep will scatter. We know that from Scripture. So it's a dangerous place. And so as a shepherd is leading his sheep, and I see the grass, I see the steel waters, but i got to go down in there to get there. And notice he said it's the valley, not of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, I don't know if there's a bear down there this time. There may not be one robber. Last time I went through, I had to kill two wolves. Two times before that, there wasn't anybody. So really, it's a picture of what? Uncertainty. I don't know what's going down that way, but what I do know is that the Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be in want. He is with me. I will fear no evil. And again, that's a big word picture and And, you know, I will fear no evil. I will fear no wolf. I will fear no robber. I will fear no uncertainty. Bottom line, that's where God's called me. That's where I got to go. So let's pull up our bootstraps and let's get in there and get going. Amen? There's a few things while I'm on that topic that I felt like the Lord has been speaking to me and in turn has been speaking to our um, elders and staff. And I think over the course of of the next few months, you're going to hear um, probably more of this as well. And that is, number one, write this down, times of uncertainty will reinforce your vision. 
Times of uncertainty will reinforce your vision. And I'm, I'm using what would will, what would can, what would may be. Are those adverbs, verbs, pronouns, adjectives, multiplication tables? What are they? I don't know. Whatever that is, I want you to focus on those. Times of uncertainty will reinforce your vision one way or the other. When I don't know, when what lies ahead is not clear, it can do one of two things. It will, it, will, it will reinforce kind of the negative vision or the lack thereof, or it will reinforce the vision that you have. For David, what am I going to do? This is scary. This is uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know he's my shepherd. I know it's recalled me, and so that's where I'm going to go. There is a recollection of what God has called you to. There's a reinforcing of that. When, when uncertain times come, we have to have something to cling to. And one of the things that we can cling to is what God said way back when. You know? I know for, um, for, uh, for Melissa and I, we've had in life, but also in ministry, certainly with Soma, which has been one of, one of the more difficult um, undertakings that we've ever been assigned by the Lord. It's all been all kinds of things. Rough stuff, different stuff, difficult stuff, valleys of the shadow of death. We didn't know, but it kind of seemed like it was going to be rough. And bottom line, when you go through those things... One of the things that you think about is, you kind of ask your question, okay, if I had known this uncertainty was coming, if I had known I would have faced this uncertainty, would I have even done this? Nine times out of a ten, the answer will be, yeah. Am I the only one? It's like, oh, okay, so uncertainty is coming, but if I had, even if I had known, if I, if I could foresee all the ways that the Lord would lead, bless, guide, um, promote, advance, all those kinds of things. If I could see all those things and then see a little bit ahead that there'd be a little bit of an uncertain time, would I have said yes to continuing that journey? Of course. Absolutely. In fact, you know, a lot of, I believe a lot of churches, a lot of businesses even, they start because of uncertainty. (laughs) Think about it. When Melissa and I started SOMA, it was because we were uncertain what was going to happen to this young generation, college and young adults, young families. It's going to the pot. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking the kind of pot you smoke. I'm down, I'm flushed down the toilet. This, the generation, it's just rough. We had a burden. We were uncertain what it was going to do. God gave us a vision to reach out and begin ministering to those who are young. Along the way, we remember that. We remember those, those things that God um, put on our heart. Sometimes uncertain times can, can really uh, threaten, like the wolf, like the robber, can threaten your... Your courage. It can threaten your, your faith. But if you will allow it, it can also reinforce your vision. Practically speaking, for us as a church, I'm thinking, okay, we're meeting on Saturday nights until notified otherwise. How many of you ever heard me say, do what you know until you know something else? <laughs> I say that all the time. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we know, which is we're here. It's a safe place until we know something else. Some people might be like, man, Saturday nights, that's rough. Which is interesting, actually, even in the last few days, I've heard more positive about Saturday nights than I've ever heard, you know. It's like, really? I thought everybody would hate this. Everybody's like, no, it's kind of cool, you know. It's great. But I'm reminded that Soma Church, when we set out to embark on this journey, and God gave us that, the vision of, of seeing people choose the way, Jesus is the way. And know the truth. Jesus is the truth. The truth will set you free. 
and to live the life that God has called them to live, a life worthy of the calling they have received in Christ Jesus. Nowhere in that vision or in that vision statement was there anything about a time or a place. The vision was about people, seeing them saved, seeing them discipled, and seeing them living a life worthy of the calling. So I ask myself, is this that big of a deal? On Saturday night or Sunday morning or thir- <laughs> one, of, one of the, Melissa was talking to one lady that comes here. She said, it doesn't matter. If we meet Thursday mornings, we're going to be there. <laughs> you know what that means? This whole thing is reinforcing the vision that God has given us. So what I do is I ask myself, moving forward, Saturday nights, okay, Sunday mornings, if we get there, sure. TCF, maybe, new place, we'll see. Bottom line, are we leading people to Christ? Are we discipling them? And are more and more people around us living the life worthy of the calling that they have received in Christ Jesus? And the reality is, is that's, that's, uh, that's a big undertaking, and it's not just my job. A good thing Soma is called the body. Soma is the Greek word for the body. It's all of our job. So all of us have to own this vision. When you guys um, came to Soma and, and you visited and whatever it was that made you stick, or maybe you're here this morning visiting and, and you're looking for a church, or maybe you, you, this whole God thing is kind of new and you don't even know, I'm not, you're not even a believer. That's okay. You're in a good place, a good safe place. Because we'd love to introduce you to the Good Shepherd. Amen. But whatever it is, you're here because something about the vision of this church stuck. And it became your vision. Our values that really kind of keep us um, on, the, on the track as far as what we do and who we are, we call them our shared values. Not core values, though there's nothing wrong with that. We call them our shared values because we hope that anybody who walks in this door will truly share them. And to me, that's one of the things at this time of uncertainty. I don't, I don't know. We could be here a month. We could be here a year. We could meet on Saturday nights for a month. We could meet on Sunday morning starting two weeks from now. I don't know. We'll see. But what are we doing? How are we using? Are, are we letting this time of uncertainty reinforce the main thing? Marvin says every now and then, keep the main thing the main thing. I have a feeling he's quoting somebody when he says that. But that's a good thing, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Would we have done this if we had known that this time of uncertainty would come? And if you don't know, let me ask you this. Moms, how many of you have birthed a baby? Raise your hand. There's a bunch of birthers in here. Bunch of birthers. Let me ask you this. Was that painful? <laughs> was it, was it um, were you uncertain exactly how that would turn out? You're hoping your baby would look human, <laughs> you know? And though you don't know exactly, is this going to be a six-hour labor? Is it going to be a 26-hour labor? Well, is this going to be painful? Is it not going to be painful? Will I get meds? Will I not get meds? Will my husband faint? Will he not faint? Let me ask you this. If you had known that it would be uncertain and not everything spelled out, would you still have had that baby? Yes. Why? Because that's what you had envisioned for nine months. Amen? Uncertain times will reinforce your vision. The second thing is, is that times of uncertainty may redefine your plan. Times of uncertainty may redefine your plan. How many of you have read the book of Nehemiah? In case you don't know the story, Nehemiah 
um, he had encountered some of his brothers out in the city. And it was during a time of exile, and, and Jerusalem was in ruins. It was a mess. And he asked his, his brothers, his comrades, man, what's going, over, going on down in Jerusalem? And they gave him kind of a bad report. The walls are busted up. The place is in ruins. People are still dispersed all over the place. And something happened. That this burden fell upon Nehemiah. And he felt God saying, you be the one. Who am I? Doesn't matter. You be the one to go and rebuild the walls. I was about to say of Jericho. But we did not want that to happen. Okay? <laughs> no, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so he, he goes and he scouts it out and he, he casts the vision to all the people. We're going to do this. And the people are like, yeah, we're going to do this. And so they, they do it. And he starts assigning people places on the wall and giving them their assignments on what to rebuild and all that. And they start working. And there's this guy named Sanballat that was giving them some grief. But they're like, yeah, we're doing this. They're all working for a good amount of time. And then Sanballat got really... He was a jerk, basically. Anyway, he didn't want to see them succeed. And he starts threatening them. Whoa, what's going to happen? Sanballat's got some clout. I mean, he can get some stuff done. He could, he could kill us. This whole thing could go south. All of a sudden, there's, a, there's some uncertainty about what we're all doing. And if you read it in Nehemiah 4, verse 16, it says that he shifted his plan. They were all doing their thing. They were getting some stuff done. But now that there is a threat coming... It says, so it was from that time on. In other words, from that point on, something changed, something shifted. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves, in other words, those who were working really hard, um, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction with the construction tools, but in the other hand they held a weapon. They held a sword. Now that's, that's a different plan, <laughs> but it's what needed to be done because that time of uncertainty redefined the plan. And in the end, we see that it still got done. It just looked a little differently on the way. Why do I bring that up? As a church... Things might just have to look a little bit different for us to really lead people to Christ, to really disciple people, to really see people grow in their walks with God and live the life God's called them to live. The way that we've done things in the past may just have to shift. If we're here, especially if we're here, and I'm not saying that we will be, we're just beginning conversations. But as a leader, I'm probably, you know, <laughs> a few steps ahead of you on thinking about it. And so I have conversations, and who knows? But if we were, we might have to change the way that we do things a little bit. Probably not completely. Nehemiah's men still held tools. Amen? But they also held weapons. That was the new plan. And it seemed to work. You know, they were probably tired or more tired. I don't know. Times of uncertainty may redefine your plan. And, and really all that means is um, it takes extraordinary um, flexibility. It means we've got to be flexible to do some of the things that we are going to do. And we're already talking on a staff level and elders level. How can we really do and be what God's called someone to be in this church during this time of uncertainty, during this time of transition? And let's talk about it. And we're just chewing on things and writing things down and checking things off and marking things off. And, and it's a lot of fun, actually. But already we can see it's going to require some flexibility 
on our part, it's probably going to require some flexibility on everybody's part. Not even saying it's going to be more work. I'm just saying this might look a little different. <laughs> and I, I forgot to write this reference down, but I can mostly remember the gist of the story. You know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount on, on Saturday nights normally in this teaching series called Climb, and we're kind of looking at how Jesus would call out the Pharisees for their religiosity and their misinterpretation of the law of Moses and all that kind of stuff. And he's trying to, to revamp the people's understanding because all they knew is what the goofy Pharisees were telling them. So Jesus said, let me teach you the real way to interpret the law. And so he's always getting on to these, these Pharisees. Well, there's one time where the disciples were, it was on the Sabbath, and the disciples were walking out through the field, and they're walking. And I would do the same thing. You know, you're walking through a field of wheat, and I'd be like, and his disciples were doing that, you know. Maybe there's just 12 too many people doing it. Um, although I think Jesus probably did too. He's like. But the Pharisees came and said, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't do that on the Sabbath. You don't pick grain. <laughs> really? You don't pick grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes into this whole, this whole spill about um, obedience is, is greater than sacrifice and that, that whole thing. And. And in the message version I was reading it, it said, you know what? God loves, how does he say it? God loves a flexible heart way more than an inflexible religion. It's like, yeah. What a great encouragement for us, a flexible heart. On a personal level, maybe there's something that God has been calling you to do, and there's some times of uncertainties are creeping up around the midst of it, and um, don't wig out. Stay focused on your vision. Let that time reinforce your vision, but be flexible and be willing for God to carry out his plan in a way that you might not have thought he would. You've got to be flexible. Amen? There's almost not a better life lesson <laughs> because if we're not flexible, really what we are walking in is the spirit and attitude of a, of a Pharisee who's not humble and contrite and like David who sees God as a shepherd. Amen? A couple things I wrote down in uncertainty, and I heard uh, um, a pa- another pastor say this, in uncertainty, inevitably what we will do is retreat to that which is familiar. And this hit me hard, because I love what's familiar, and I love comfort, and I don't really like change. My wife can tell you, okay? I'm kind of, I, I could be a Pharisee really quick, and a lot of times am, unfortunately. Can I get a support group started? But in uncertain times, one of the things that we'll do is we'll retreat to what's familiar. Now, I, I don't presume to know what that could be like on a church level. Well, you know, I know for me it's been, we've got to get to Sunday mornings. We've got to get to Sunday mornings. We've got to get to Sunday mornings. I think God's like, you know, the Sabbath is actually on Saturday anyway. <laughs> hey, God, don't you tell me about the Sabbath. <laughs> Kidding. I'm just saying, I don't think all that stuff trips the Lord up. But we have to be careful as we move forward. And and I'll help you and you help me not to go back in any way to what is familiar because what is familiar might hinder us from accomplishing what is new. Amen? The third thing is, and you can write this down, is that because uncertain times can reinforce your vision, 
and really just be like, bring a clarity, you know, it just, it opens up your view, and you're seeing clear, or, or you're just, yeah, totally pumped, and because there's a redefining of your plan, and a new way of doing, especially if you're kind of strategic-minded anyway, if you're one of those coaching types, one of the things uncertain times can do, times of uncertainty, can reignite your passion, it can reignite your passion. I was thinking, for some reason, as I, as I thought about that, the first person that jumped into my mind was Timothy. You have Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And then you have one of his greatest disciples. I mean, by his own admission, Timothy, there's no one like you. You're my greatest disciple. And there was about 40 years difference in age. Towards the end, Paul was like 70 Timothy's like 30, but in the scheme of things, was very young. And if you look at 1 Timothy 4, go ahead and turn there because I want to read this. 1 Timothy, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy while he was the pastor of Ephesus. One of the unique things about the church of Ephesus is that it was full of older people. It was full of people who were really gifted as teachers that knew the law, um, some Pharisees. Um, that had been saved, all kinds of stuff. And so it was very intimidating for uh, a new, uh, someone that was a new pastor, okay? And so Paul was continually encouraging him. In 1 Timothy 4, this is the first letter. He's really in the mode of encouraging Timothy. I can't find it. And he says, This is verse 4. I'm, just, I'm actually just going to read from the beginning. I won't read that far, though. So he's talking, and he's, he's warning Timothy, who was already, you know, he's also the one that said, don't, look, don't let anyone look down on you in your youth. Um, um, we, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. All those things. This is Timothy that has heard these things in the past. Well, here, Timothy, who was a little, you know, he needed encouragement continually. Here's what Paul decides to write him (laughs) in his first letter. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Remember, he's surrounded by great teachers, people that knew the word. There was a warning there that some of the people that you're surrounded by might even try to trip people up with some crazy doctrine. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in, um, by all those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4 says, For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received from gratitude. He's kind of giving a little commentary on that comment. For it's sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Now, he says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ. In other words, to keep the body fed and on track. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profit. 
uh, profitable for all things since it holds promises for the present life, also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance for it is for this we labor and strive. And I love this verse 10 for it is for this that we labor and strive. In other words, this is why God's called you to do what he's called you to do. It's for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Now this is easily applied to a pastor. It's easily applied to me, but this can also apply to you wherever you're at. It is for this, whatever it is that God's put before you as a vision. It's for this that you labor and you strive. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect, and this is what I wanted to get to. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was given to you through a prophetic utterance. In other words, they prophesied this over him. And with the laying on of hands by the elders, by the presbyteries, by the elders. In that moment, one of the things that he did in context of the whole deal is he said, this is what God has called you to do. And though he might have been a little timid, Timothy was probably like, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was, this speech was given to me, I would have been, yeah, yeah. And at least for another day, hopefully for another year, I would have been pretty pumped, pretty passionate about what God's called me to do. That's one of the things that uncertain times can do. Timothy didn't know who might rise up as a false doctrine preacher. He didn't know who would fall away in that great falling away. He didn't know who would, would be all bent out of shape about what they eat, what they didn't eat. He didn't know. Those are all uncertain things. I don't know, but one thing I do know is that I've been called. And I'm pretty excited that you reminded me that not only was I called, I was prophetically called, and by the laying on hands, I was gifted, which means that there was some sort of pretty spiritual encounter that happened that day and he was reminded and he says you know what right on it's reigniting my passion i say that because i look at all this stuff and not that i've lost my passion in any sense of the word or that you have either but times of uncertainty you're going to renew your vision when you start chewing on your vision again it's like it's like what's that gum that has the stuff in the middle you know what i mean you know what I'm talking about? You chew on it and just explodes with all that flavor. Like you don't chew that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. When you start chewing on your vision, it's like that. It can be just an explosion. When you start talking about how God might fulfill that vision in you now, it's like an explosion of tastes and, and colors and flavors. And it makes you want to eat more of that gum. I just want more of that. I just want more of that. And we've had some really neat times in staff and elders and talking, me and Melissa, excited excited. This is a new phase for Soma. We don't, we're uncertain about a few things, but we're very certain about a lot of things. Amen.